Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast, friends. I'm Kim Skorupski here at Hopkins, and I'm looking at two new guests that I can't wait to introduce to you, Dr. Margot Cohen and Dr. Andrew Orr. Hi, Margot. Hi, Andrew. Hi, thanks so much for having us. Hey, great to be here. All right, so let me tell you who Drs. Cohen and Orr are. Dr. Margot Cohen is an assistant professor in the Division of Hospital Medicine at the Perlman School of Medicine at University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. And up until about three weeks ago, her colleague, Dr. Andrew Orr, worked there with her. But now, Dr. Orr is an assistant professor of clinical medicine in the Division of Hospital Medicine at UCSF in the San Francisco Veterans Administration. All right. Well, let me tell you how I found Margot and Andrew. I got this article sent to me, 12 Tips for Excelling as an Introvert in Academic Medicine at All Levels. You can find this article, and I'm going to link it link to it in the facultyfactory.org in the website. In Medical Teacher, it was published online June 1st, 2023. It's so great. We talk about extroverts and introverts in our work here at Hopkins, as many of us do around the country in our leadership programs. I'm a certified Myers-Briggs type indicator instructor. And I'm, as maybe you can tell, an off-the-charts annoying extrovert. So I love, oh, my best friend is an introvert, and I always love learning how I can do a better job, other than just being quiet and shutting my mouth occasionally, how I can do a better job of making my introverts you know, feel less bowled over by, by my mouth. So I just learned so much about this article. I'm so excited. And then I just emailed Margot and Andrew and said, hey, would you um, be interested to be in a podcast to share your wisdom with the world? And here they are. So what we always want to know is like, what drew you to this work? I mean, you're both hospitalists, busy clinicians and hardcore, you know, academic institutions. What drew you to introversion and why does this work even matter in academic medicine specifically? I'll let you go first, Margo. I guess I should start and I'll speak for Andrew and myself by saying that we are, we are both introverts and that is part of what drew us to the topic. Um, I would say we really got interested after we read Susan Cain's book, Quiet, and uh, I read it. And for those who haven't read it, it's really a, a very data-driven book that does not actually touch on medicine, but sort of talks about how introversion hits any other facet of life. And I think I sort of knew I was an introvert, but reading the book, I really saw myself like projected on the page and adaptations I'd made in my life and ways I had felt that I maybe didn't have as clear words for. Um, and along that same time, Andrew was actually completing a, a leadership block in the Master's of Medical Education at UPenn. And as part of that, you interview others about your leadership style. And so when Andrew was interviewing me, it turned out that we talked quite a lot about introversion and the perception of introversion and whether or not we had to sort of change our stripes to be medical educators, which is sort of the space that we both fall into. Um, and I think really talking about that and then talking about our experiences with students who we have seen a lot of introverted students get evaluations of being too quiet, not confident enough, things that make it very difficult on the evaluator side to know exactly what's going on. Uh, we sort of put our heads together and said, we should look into this more, see if anything's out there. And when there wasn't too much out there, decided to to work on the article. Yeah. When, you know, when we did look into what existed out there, um, the stuff that we were able to find resonated with us. And we saw some reports that introverts in throughout medicine have increased stress and burnout throughout training at multiple levels. 
lower clinical evaluations in the clerkship years of medical school. Our experiences as course directors at Penn showed us that, like, like Margo, you just mentioned, um, overall underrepresentation in leadership and all these downstream effects of what Susan Cain calls the extrovert ideal in society. We also heard some quotes from introverted students that they feel like misfits going through rotations. There's judges underperformers have a hard time contributing the conversation on rounds, feel like they have to change their identity to succeed. So that hit home with us. And then Margie, you mentioned the, the leadership interviews that I did. Going into those interviews, it's kind of like a 360 interview process. So you interview people that you're close with, colleagues, bosses, uh, mentees. And I was so afraid that I was going to get feedback. You're too quiet. You need to talk more. And what I actually heard was you're thoughtful, you're prepared, you're creative. And I didn't hear any feedback of be more extroverted, change your personality. And that helped me realize that you know, even I had internalized that extrovert ideal and this unconscious bias that the people who talk first and most often and frequently in meetings are the smartest people in the room. And that's just not who I am. So I felt empowered um, to really own some of the introverted strengths. And we wanted to share that with others out there and, and give people um, the permission to articulate some of these things. Oh, that's, thank you so much for this work. It's so important and it's it's courageous. So I love how, what you both talked about, your identity and these misconceptions of maybe having to change my stripes, change who I am, be other than, or being, you know, receiving a message or hearing a message that I'm not good enough as I am. And if I have to do something or be something I have to change who I am. So I'm so appreciative and I love how you are reminding us that, you know, we check our own misconceptions and our own biases and remind others about their own. Uh, in our leadership programs, we have a lot of um, times faculty say, oh, so if I want to be like you, Kim, a leader, I have to be this big, big personality and loud and outgoing and, you know, center of the party. And I, no, you don't. Many, many good leaders and entrepreneurs and people who have great skills are the thinkers before they talk. You know, we we extroverts, we, we talk to think. And there's so much, you know, we get our foot in our mouth so many times. And so it's, it's always a wonderful experience when in the classes, we have to remind people that of our own misconceptions about what does a fill in the blank look like? What does a department chair? What does a professor? What does a principal investigator? What does a you know famous clinician look like? They look like you, <laughs> Do, doing you and doing being the best you. And so I love Andrew how you amplify that. No, actually, I'm thoughtful. I'm careful. I use my words judiciously, and I'm. People know that they can trust me and I'm not going to blurt something. I think very carefully. So those are wonderful, wonderful strengths. And um, I'm just so glad you put this work out here. So as you can tell, again, extrovert talking, talking, talking. I'm not going to talk. Um, maybe um, try not to talk. But would you again, I'm going to refer people to this wonderful article. There are 12 tips for excelling as an introvert in academic medicine at all levels in medical teacher. And so how would you like to kind of go through a conversation about some of like the high level tips that are relevant in, to our listeners right now? Yeah, I think we, maybe we can 
alternate a bit just so there's a little space for discussion if we need it in between. But I can maybe start with uh, our first tip, which uh, we, we worked on the naming of these, flip the script, embrace the introvert ideal. Um, and I think it actually really gets back to exactly what you were pointing out, Kim, that there's this perception gap for introverts where not only their mentors, but also them, they themselves often don't see themselves as having leadership potential, as being worthy of kind of taking on those roles because we view those as being extrovert archetypes and it's just hard to break that. Um, and I think we also run into the problem that introverts are not the first to volunteer and a lot of things, especially in the kind of competitive academic medicine sphere, if you're the first up, you're getting more opportunities a lot of the time and people aren't going to wait for, for the quieter folks to speak. And so I think the first thing we really wanted to do was just to highlight that there are benefits to introversion, exactly as Andrew was discussing, that um, it's common up to half of the population are introverts. So no one is alone, even though, again, you're the quiet ones, you may not talk about it as often. Um, and I think there's a lot of strengths that we see in introverts that in particular in medicine and academic medicine are really helpful, that sort of deep thought, the creativity that you often get from kind of having some solo introspection. Um, there's some data that they're good at long-term goal persistence, which, as we can imagine, is very helpful in sort of a lengthy medicine career. Um, people are usually very responsive to feedback. So a lot of the things we actually look for in our learners and in our junior faculty are things that introverts have. They just may not be shouting about it, you know, from the rooftops. And I think that that was sort of the first thing that we needed to learn ourselves, to be honest, but also wanted to get across to others looking at the article. Yeah, and internalizing that. And then, you know, even just like, as we start off our discussion, thinking about definitions of things too, that, that might be helpful. You mentioned the think to talk versus talk to think. That's a useful general mental model to have. Introversion in general is turning inward, drawing energy from solitude, quiet time, less stimulating environments, extroversion, the opposite. opposite. But I think it's important to also say that uh, it's a spectrum and people will behave different ways in different contexts and different situations. And, and we'll talk more about that piece later on um, as well. Wonderful. I love it. Flip the script. Absolutely. Embrace the introvert ideal. Got it. I can take the next one, um, which we'll go down to tip number four, which was structuring self-promotion to your strengths. This builds on um, what Margo was just talking about, but that perception gap um, for introverts is big. And part of that is we think the work that we do speaks for itself. And in many times the work may speak, but others still have to hear it. So that's all part of the process is building your brand and communicating that to your mentors, letting them know what you're up to, asking them to sponsor you for things and not being shy or feeling modest about it. Um, when appropriate, you know, not being afraid to nominate yourself for relevant academic awards. Introverts classically are less motivated by extrinsic rewards. But um, if you link, link projects to core values that you have, that can help you overcome that activation energy, that threshold, just realizing that this may not be something you're used to doing, but if you get recognized in this way, uh, it can actually help you further your projects and advance your passions and help the people that you're trying to help. Similarly, not being afraid to request one-on-one -on -one meetings with relevant stakeholders that can be maybe a more intimate and personal connection than having a, a big committee meeting or something like that, that plays to introverted strengths. 
And then working with an extroverted ally can be really helpful as well. Someone you can do projects together with and you, know, you do the creative work, some of the deep work, and they help amplify the message for you. Am I missing anything with that one, Margo? I would just highlight that I, I think it's often uncomfortable for particularly introverts, so maybe for a lot of people to sort of give yourself a brand. But I think when you're in academic medicine, it's actually incredibly important. And there was a, an academic medicine article that came out in 2019 that really has stuck with me since that time. It's always in the back of my head. Um, and so I think all your tips about how to communicate that brand, but it doesn't need to be loud, like you can do it through writing, you know, our our division has a kind of email that goes out at the end of each week with uh, accomplishments. So I use that a lot, because emailing someone about accomplishments is much more comfortable to me than bringing it up as a shout out in a meeting. Um, so just taking, taking stock of what works for you, I think can be really helpful and making sure that even if you're going to be quiet, um, or less comfortable with it, that you still find a way between yourself, your mentors, your extroverted partners to to get your work out there because it's it's necessary, I think, within again the academic world at least. I love both of those. I'm I'm sitting here looking for, of course, I can't find it, but we offer courses, um, set seminars on the art of graceful self promotion. And I remember taking it first from one of the, you know, the, the goddesses in the academic medicine faculty affairs space, Dr. Luann Thorndike. And when I first heard the thing, the art of graceful self-promotion, I thought, what, that sounds kind of hokey. Who needs that? But it's all about that whole, the, you know, the leaders, the um, elevator pitch and, um, learning how to again market yourself but you're so you're I'm, I'm trying to think of what to say here but again so I'm an extrovert so I'm gonna talk until it makes sense but um the even though I'm an extrovert my tendency then would be to as I'm seeing the leader in the elevator at the conference the big famous person and she's walking down the hallway and I want to make a good impression with her and so the importance of being able to be thoughtful and judicious and um strategic in the message using you know, short, short sentences, you know, punchy headliners, that's a valuable practice for introverts and extroverts in terms of knowing your brand and promoting yourself um, that we could all learn from. So we teach that a lot at, um, at here at Hopkins. And I also wanted to say, um, oh gosh, what was it? Oh, I know this, it's just kind of flipped out of my mind. Cause I'm trying to look for this, this article that you talked about in academic, about knowing your brand and branding yourself. It doesn't sound organic to us in academic medicine because it sounds so businessy and markety, but there's tremendous value that we often times don't give enough attention to is that we go to our talks, we give our podium presentations, we put our poster presentations together, we write our papers, we write our grants, but all that kind of communication is different from communicating personally um, to an audience that may be even as particularly like a lay audience. So you mentioned social media in your article. And so the idea of you can't use like a one-stop shop approach in communication. We have to be really thoughtful of how to communicate a message in different platforms and different formats. And I think we can all, regardless of our personality preferences, uh, gain wisdom from practicing and being really kind of purposeful about that. Yeah, and I think some um, some of it is just leveraging what your strengths are. And so we talk a little bit in the article about how to network and how to contribute to meetings. And a lot of it comes down to setting goals, even though it seems sort of silly to do so for yourself, but just set a goal to talk to make one good connection from that networking opportunity. Don't feel like you have to talk to 10 people. 
you have one great conversation and that sort of suits what you needed, that's okay. Give yourself a break. You, you don't need to be the same as, again, the person from your institution who loves having these conversations. Um, and so I think, I think keeping that in mind is helpful. And similarly for meetings, you know, what's your most important meeting? Set a goal to try to speak verbally in that meeting, but give yourself a break on some of the lower stakes meetings where maybe it's okay if you just type in the chat or <laughs> contribute in some quieter, easier ways for yourself yeah. that are less uh, less stressful, perhaps. I just want to say two things, and then I promise I'll be quiet again for a couple minutes. Um, the the, the uh, academic medicine article that I think you're mentioning, Margo, in 2019 by Borman Shope. Is that the one you're? Yes. Knowing your personal brand, what academics can learn from Marketing 101. Emily Borman Shope et al. Academic Medicine 2019. I'm so happy that I found that after some crazy searching here. And um, oh, also the other thing, Andrew, you said, you know, um, leverage your extrovert friends to say, hey, can you help me? I'm really trying to work on, you know, marketing myself, branding myself. Could you kind of help amplify me or this or that? Also with your introvert friends. Listen, there's this award. I don't, I feel a little bit uncomfortable nominating myself for it. It's a little bit ick, you know, but would you, would it, would you be okay nominating me? You know, I would write the letter and give you the supporting documentation, of course, but could we do a quid pro quo? You know, would you feel comfortable? And obviously most of us are more comfortable elevating, amplifying, nominating others. So then it's just kind of a, you're not doing it for yourself necessarily if that's too much of a ick for you. But that's another, not only the extrovert, but your introvert friends can all like do, you know, wonder twin powers activate. We're going to help each other. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's just building the community and then sharing a bit of yourself with others and not being afraid to make some requests. We've talked a lot about being yourself, but I think the question that often comes up for introverts is, are there times you should be an extrovert or you should sort of flex that muscle too? And so um, we talk about this in in across a few tips, but tip 10 is probably the, the most focused one on fake it till you make it, act out of character when your values call for it. Um, and I think we were very interested in this because it's something that, again, comes up a lot for us, definitely comes up a lot as a, a course director watching, you know, clinical students starting to develop. Um, and so there's actually some data on this, again, less in the um, medical realm, but mostly out of the psychiatry literature, um, that it's actually okay for introverts to, to fake it till they make it and kind of act as an extrovert at times. And it's important that when you do that, that you're sort of doing that for things that are deeply held personal beliefs, your core values, your core projects that you really want to advance. Um, but I think knowing that that's okay, that it doesn't need to be changing yourself. You know, I think everyone's going to have a different boundary for this. And some people are even ambiverts. They really have that ability to flex more naturally. Um, but the data really shows us that there's, there's no harm to doing so in the short term. Often you do need to recover, which we can talk a little more about after. Um, but it's okay to kind of practice your extroversion when you need it. And I think there are times for all of us that it is helpful to be a little more of an extrovert in certain ways. And so keeping that in mind, I think is helpful and keeping in mind that you, that will be easier if you're doing it for a passion or for really what, what is most important to you. Um, which again, I think in medicine and in academics, we all have that area. Um, so good to know that the the data supports you and actually shows that it's often fares better for introverts to pretend to be extroverts than the inverse. The extroverts pretending to be introverts tend to feel it more, which, yeah, maybe you can, uh, can agree I'll totally with. relate. Totally relate. <laughs> oh, I have a sticky note on my computer that says, wait, why am I talking? 
because I'm always talking. I just, I love being around people. And I feel like when it's quiet, like, oh, they don't like me. They're going to go away. We have to keep it. And I had to learn to be comfortable with silence. But I know Andrew wants to tap in here, but I love this fake it till you make it. And I love, especially Margo, how you underscored in the paper, first of all, how you point out that Oprah Winfrey is a self-described introvert. I did not know that. Um, and I would never know it. But I, I love how you underscore the importance that it's not being phony or like, oh, you're being such a chameleon. It's so disingenuous when we align it with values and our principles. That's to me. And what Andrew said earlier, it's a spectrum. So it's not as if you're being phony or you're being inauthentic. You're just flexing that spectrum muscle saying, no, in this venue, in this climate, this culture, one should talk less. You know, Kim, when you're going into church or temple, you know, kind of shut up for a minute, like be quiet, or you're not the leader in the room, you're the follower. So you're going to be quiet. So I always tell myself, like, who's my audience? What should I be doing? What should I be mindful of? So I, I think it's so important for us to realize, well, rather than reverting to my own prejudice or bias, well, that's just who I am. You know, you know, what you see is what you get. That's who I am. That's my personality. You know, me, power. Yes. And sometimes that me is just too much. And so I have to, if I'm going to be a good leader, an evolved human being, you, we all learn to pivot and calibrate and, you know, who's the patient I'm going to see now? Are they, oh, I remember this patient's family. Mom's really outgoing. I remember this family and mom's a little bit subdued. So I want to kind of lower my pace, slow, quiet down. We, we all organically, if we're attuned and have emotional intelligence, learn how to do that. So I think it's just, it's an awareness of like, it's not inauthentic. It's just expressing the fullness of who we are and practicing all those layers and levels of us. Right, Andrew? Yeah. And I think it's comfortable. It's a comforting rather to know that you have that flexibility within you. And exactly like you're saying, what we're trying to suggest is that just having the self-awareness of, you know, when might a situation call for acting a little bit differently than, than you usually act and feeling empowered to do that, knowing that it's not phony. Like you said, it's coming from a desire to advance your core values and, and personal projects, whether that's lecturing, lots of people will act in a pseudo extroverted fashion, even if they're like introverts through and through outside of the classroom, just to like show enthusiasm in a subject with the goal being to try to spark that same level of interest in the students or, you know, networking events, trying to make that connection, like Margot said, to really advance a project of yours. But um, maybe now's a good time to talk about some of the restorative niches as well for like, yes, in the short term, it's not going to deplete your ego uh, to act extroverted for the introverted among us. But in the long run, it's probably a good idea to build in some time to recharge afterwards into your schedule. And there's a couple ways of doing this. In the article, we talk about um, scheduling time for yourself. So often if you have a big meeting or, you know, a mixer coming up or, you know, a networking event, otherwise you'll know that it's coming up in your schedule and you can kind of plan around it. So we suggest scheduling days for, uh, you know, meeting days with mentorship stuff, meetings, other things that maybe drain your energy and alternating those with what Adam Grant calls maker days, better like time for quiet reflection and content creation where you can really recharge. Um, it's a probably also a good idea to incorporate some things into your everyday routine, things like mindfulness, exercise, 
journaling, you know, either before or after these events and really just helping to process what just happened. What did I find most draining about it? What might I try in the future strategy wise, or even like in the moment or as things are happening, um, it's okay to during breaks, step away, uh, be in a less like stimulating environment. There's a famous professor, Brian Little, who does a lot of work in personality science, who's kind of famous for hiding in bathrooms in the middle of presentations, just to like recharge and giving permission that, you know, that's okay too. It's okay to uh, step back for a second and, and then get back at it. I think those, the meter and maker days was one of those eye-opening moments for me where it was something I'd been doing with no uh, active understanding of why until I read about it and realized, oh yeah, I can really only write an article or dig deep into a new project if I have a full day or a full half day of just quiet space to think and there's no interruptions with meetings. Um, And I sort of started to do that automatically as a hospitalist, but understanding why helps a lot. And it makes you realize when you're having a week that's more draining to look back, okay, did I set myself up sort of for success that day or not? And often I will find, oh, I didn't really give myself any of the, the quieter work time that I personally need to restore and to be able to do the work that sort of feels most meaningful to me. What's so important about what you're saying is just putting this out here and maybe I don't want to say destigmatizing, but, you know, there's so many things that we have stigmas around in our society. And this might be one of them where the work you're doing and what you've done is so valuable because I am hypothesizing that there are people who may have thought, you know, what is this with me? Why can't I do what this one's doing? Why do I feel like I need to go on a walk? Why do I need to go hide in a restroom? Why am I like running away from people? Is there something wrong with me? Like, how come I'm, I don't fit here? You know, do I need to see somebody about this? This destigmatizing, this is natural because Again, extroverts, we get our energy. When I would teach back in the olden days before the COVID, when we were in, you know, had people in seats and in auditoriums, I could walk into a session and be kind of like mid-level. And honest to Pete, I would tell people, I would like, you know, strap on uh, your seatbelt here, hold tight because we're going to go for a ride. And for you introverts, I apologize in advance because I'm going to suck all the life energy from you. Because literally, that's what extroverts do. When we're around people, my balloon would just get filled, 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 filled. I would get so much energy. My battery would be charging, charging, charging. I would become more animated and talking faster and more loudly and getting gesticulating everywhere. And I could feel my energy. And then I could see in the audience some of the extroverts kind of just like literally shrinking because I was so much, so big. And that realization of um, that's normal for me, that I get my energy, the same thing, the opposite is to retreat into solitude is where introverts, they had that same feeling of their battery gets filled up when they're quiet and alone and reflective and their balloons get charged up. So that recognition of there's not, it's not right or wrong. It just is. And so when we would erringly, me, the big extrovert would say, when you go to conferences, you have to network. You know, if you want to get promoted, you need to be going into all the social hours and the happy hours and you got to meet people and you got to chase them into the restrooms and you got to go into the elevators and pitching and talking and talking. And I can see how introverts would be like, are you kidding me? And 
what you're saying is so important. The pivot is, okay, I'm going to put myself out there because these people will be writing my letters of promotion. And then I'm going to go to my room and I'm going to reflect and I'm going to have some quiet time or I'm going to go to that happy hour for 20 minutes. And then I'm going to go for a walk around the campus. I'm going to do this. And then, so you're so right that you building consciously building in the recovery time, realizing it's not because of you, it's just your, your type. That is what you need. And so I love how you just kind of blown this open. It's not just me. It's everybody. We're, we all have, this is how we restore and rejuvenate just like the extroverts, you know, when they're alone, when I have day after day of zooming, 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 and I'm feeling alone and quiet, I get sad and I have no energy. So I have to build in time to say, Kim, it's been three hours. You need to go to Ace Hardware and walk around and be around people to fill your balloon. Then you can go back to sitting in your basement by yourself. So it's 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 that rec- that knowledge of self is the beginning of all wisdom, right? Socrates, or I always forget if Socrates or Aristotle, I always forget which one is which, but um, know thyself is the beginning of wisdom. So this is just, you're really bringing it out there of knowing ourselves. So yeah, the normalizing is huge. And I've taken to calling it, Oh, this is my style. Like this is just my style, the way that I am. I can flex outside of it if I need to, but this is kind of my natural inclination. It's been really nice talking to Margo about it and reading the things that we've been reading to understand that it's not just us. This is how a lot of people out there feel and something else to take solace in is when I realized that, yeah, up to one third to one half of the population is introverted, like we mentioned before. Therefore, when we're going to conferences and dreading the networking events, guess what? It's not just you. There are one third to one half of the people there are also introverted and probably feeling similarly. I think one of the things that it, it made me think of and probably a good direction for us to, to um, move towards is sort of how do you support the introverts in your life if, if you are not an introvert, because I think that is really important because despite the fact that we hope introverted leaders increase in the population, they are still certainly the, the minority right now. Um, and so I think there's there's a few different components to this. One of them, though, is really the awareness that we're talking about that, you know, making sure particularly if you are, are on the extroverted side and in leadership that you recognize introverts exist, that you also pay attention to the distinction between introversion and shyness and anxiety, which I think often get very wrapped up and can lead to um, to misassumptions, but also lead to feedback to individuals that isn't really reflective of what's going on internally for them. And I think, again, as, as educators who read quite a lot of uh, student evaluations, both of us, um, the best way to take this is really to think about what are the behaviors you're seeing in that mentee or in that colleague that are coming across to you as shy or anxious or introverted, and then talk about those behaviors. I think that's a much more fruitful way rather rather than making an assumption about what's going on on the inside. Um, And again, that's where we get to that kind of classic, be more confident feedback to, to many people across their careers. Um, so being mindful of that, I think as an extrovert can be really helpful. And again, it's it's okay to give people feedback. I'd like to hear you speak up more or you look very uncomfortable when these conversations come up, even though I know you're an expert. That could be important feedback for someone to hear, but it should be behavioral based so that they can actually think about what can I change again that is not changing me, but is maybe changing the the perception others get from me. The dreaded confidence. Uh- <laughs> piece of feedback. There are some meeting hygiene things that um, mentors can do 
as well. If they're leading meetings, they can share agendas in advance and give the introverted people in the group some more time to think and, and you know realize how they want to articulate the thoughts that they have about whatever the meeting topic is. Doing small group breakouts before large group breakouts and meetings can be helpful as well. And then just providing an opportunity afterwards uh, for additional thoughts or suggestions via email for those who take longer to process things, but still want to contribute after they've had some time to kind of digest all the details. I've had some great mentors who, um, you know, it takes me a little longer to process and articulate things, but they are really good at listening first and then talking last and giving me the space to allow me to contribute. And that shows me that the contributions are are valued. So that can be helpful as well. And then one other tip would be just encouraging, again, those leadership roles that introverted people may feel hesitant to apply for because of the, you know, one archetype of the extroverted leader that you were mentioning before. But I think an equally valid archetype is the um, leader who's known for drive and humility and rather than like charisma or gregariousness. Um, and we also wanted to highlight a study that showed that introverted leaders can be as effective or more effective than extroverted leaders, especially when it's um, managing a team of proactive employees. They're really good at like highlighting the talents of others generating creative thought, eliciting the opinions of others and rethinking positions um, when, when the time calls for it. So um, just encouraging those leadership roles is great. And then knowing all these things about introversion, it's also okay, like Margot said, to give some feedback and challenge uh, the introverted people to step out of their comfort zone just a little bit and move them along to the next step too. Thank you so much. And I dashed off three notes so that I would be clear and not ramble, but Andrew, the leadership roles. Um, so important that we all recognize we're all leaders, first of all, maybe not by a certain title, but by our role, the jobs we're doing right now. So we're all leaders, hard stop right now. And yes, we have to help promote each other and lift each other up for higher leadership roles if desired. And I think what's good here is recognizing that um, we, we talk, we've had like sessions and invite people and one famous person came to talk to Hopkins and she's like, how many people in here want to be a department head? And like nobody raised their hand. We're all like, <laughs> um, our, our faculty don't want to be leaders. Well, it's because I think part of that was that they see that leader in their head and go, I don't want to have that job. That looks awful. So recognizing that you know, people may be listening to this talk right now and listening and say, I don't want to be a leader that every leader I know is miserable. They're working too hard. They're stressed out. They're burned out. That doesn't mean that needs to be you as that leader. And what you said made me think, Andrew, of the importance of diversity and teamwork and interdisciplinary teams and not interdisciplinary necessarily by practice or, or field of practice, but by diverse, um, um, archetypes as you describe them but knowing that if i'm because i am an extrovert if i want to be a good leader i'm going to have on my team a really good introvert i'm going to have if you look look at like the cubby not the cubby um the clifton strengths indicator where i'm like input and futuristic and strategic and something something i want someone who's also going to be the compassionate and the feeling person who's going to try to like round off my rough edges or you know someone who would be the person who would be advocating for you. So you're the deep thinking, quiet, strong leader who engenders faith and confidence and trust. 
you get someone else to, I'm trying to think of the phrase, not co-op, but you. It's all like complementary. Yeah. Complementary strengths and um, the world works when you have extroverts and introverts all working together for sure. Thank you. So you have that, you complement, get get a complementary team so you can have leverage your friends who have these other strengths to bring it together. So that's how leadership roles can happen. If we all think of diversifying our our teams and our supportive mentoring teams and our tribe and our people with us. The other thing you said about meeting hygiene, Andrew, that really stuck to me, you said, you know, like preempt, maybe send the agenda ahead of time so that our introverts can be processing and thinking and preparing versus the extroverts who are just kind of like blah, 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 extemporaneously and just start thinking without talking, without thinking necessarily. We can also, what I do with people like me is say, Hey, Kim, Tomorrow's meeting, you know, and Dr. Orr and Cohen are going to be there. And, you know, you always tend to, I mean, I love you, Kim, but you really talk a lot and you tend to like take over these meetings. Could you maybe, I know you have strong opinions about this, but could you please, you know, you know, kind of step back a bit and kind of give some space. I've invited, you know, Drs. Cohen and Orr to kind of share their, their, you know, thoughts first. Would you mind kind of waiting to the end? And I'd be like, Oh, absolutely. So the other way as well. So not only, you know, lifting up space for introverts, but kind of also saying, Hey, extroverts, can you like zip it for a minute? Um, not, not that crass or not that obnoxious, but that's the way I'd be. The, the third thing I think was Margo said was, um, gosh, and I can't remember what is in reference to, but, the Walt Whitman quote of being curious and not judgmental, being curious. So rather than, oh, I remember what it was, you know, rather than saying my coming up with like notions, oh, Margo, oh, she's one of those, fill in the blank. Oh, she, oh, you're, I know you're shy, but what? excuse me. Like when I first met my my bestie, when I moved to Baltimore, I'm like, blah, 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 blah. Well, you, because you're shy. And she's like, I'm not shy. I'm like, yes, you are. Like, da, 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 da. And then we got the whole thing of when I learned about Myers-Briggs, she's like, I'm introverted. I'm not shy. And she's right. Once I got to know her, there's nothing shy about her. She'll have a conversation with someone. So it was my, you know, being curious rather than judgmental and being so quick to like, Andrew is this, Margo is that, Kim is that, putting people into a box that we can sort them and manage them rather be, oh, isn't that interesting? I'm curious about that and not judging, I think is an it's a kind of a coaching thing, which is why I also think introverts are the best coaches because they actually do are quiet and don't yammer over the client. But I, I like that idea of the curiosity rather than the judgmental. And and I think you, I found this as I've started to sort of mentor junior faculty and residents myself, that when you're teaching people how to be leaders or how to be educators in particular, exploring that is really helpful. Like saying, I've noticed you tend to have a quieter approach to rounds as a senior resident like what's going on in the background? You know, do you want to start teaching? Here are some ideas and helping them brainstorm. Um, and we will leave it to to people's uh, reading the article, but we have lots of tips about how to be an educator as an introvert, because I think that's something we've both had to develop or ways to teach that aren't just being loud and being big, but ways to teach that are using asynchronous methods on the background side that kind of give you more connection with your team, show your dedication, but aren't aren't going to take up so much space. And so I think giving those tips to some of the residents I found to be really helpful because no one sat down with them before. They've just said, oh, you're quiet. You're, you know, you don't seem interested in this. And that's not usually it. It's not a lack of interest. It's just not knowing how to do something or not seeing the right, the right role models of that behavior, I think. Yeah. 
I love in your article, I just want to read a couple excerpts from your background because it just, it resonated so much. And I think it's so important for for people to hear. Listen to how uh, Drs. Cohen and Orr start off their article on the, the, remind you, the 12 tips for excelling as an introvert. So the, just a couple sentences. Listen, does this sound familiar? Ava should strive to participate and insert herself a little more into team discussions if she has input or, or questions. She seems a little quiet on rounds. Manny can work on being more assertive and involved. Even just asking more questions would be good. There's nothing wrong with his reserved demeanor and being soft-spoken. I wouldn't want this to be mistaken for a lack of interest or engagement, but I would like him to speak up more. And what I found interesting about the comment about Manny, I wouldn't want this to be mistaken for lack of interest or engagement. It's kind of almost like this, whoa, what? Lack of interest? I'm Now I'm, they think I'm quiet and not involved because so that I'm, disinterested or not not engaged so it can be really that whole being curious and not judgmental margo i think it's so evident um and how we quickly judge and make assumptions like where did that come from i remember i was at a meeting once and i got there early and it's back in the days when also when newspapers were a thing and i just grabbed the newspaper because it was after shortly after lunch and i got to the room early and i had the newspaper open and i was just kind of scanning the newspaper and the head of the department came in and after the meeting, it was that same comment. Oh, I, I feel like you're not really in, interested or involved or is there something going on? I need to know. Basically, I kind of got a little bit of a comeuppance of like, how dare you bring a newspaper? And as long as if I sat there during the meeting, it was in preparation. I was early for the meeting and I, so it goes both ways. I was like, wait a minute. Oh my gosh. What was I doing that gave that perception or misperception? And why was, I'm curious, why would he think that? Because it's all about communication, right? So I love that whole being curious, curious, curious um, will help all of us, right? Absolutely. Yeah, you can jump to a lot of conclusions uh, without much factual basis if you ask questions about it. And it wasn't hard. Those were real evaluations that we got from students that we were evaluating in our courses, um, and just two of them. And like I said, it was not hard to to find them because it's it's out there. Yeah, I'm so happy that you, you know, just blew this up for us and really including people and just putting the message out there that, hey, we're, this is real. Uh, this is nothing personal. This is not a flaw. This is a strength. You know, we have to talk about this more. Let's kind of flip this whole idea of, um, the loud leader, um, on its head. I mean, it's just, it's wrong on so many, levels. And I just love that you brought all those 12 tips for us. And I especially love how, you know, what can we as extroverts do um, to kind of just be more aware? I think it comes to awareness, right? Just awareness, pausing for a moment, being curious. And um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll all be better, especially if we get to know the other half and we all appreciate each other's perspectives and not personalize things, but realize this is just the archetype. This is how how we are. And we all or on the spectrum, we can all flex both ways. So I'll, I'll leave, um, believe it or not, I'm going to leave a final word to you, but I do want to, so I'll let you kind of piece us out. But again, re- remind you that uh, this is Dr. Margo Cohen at Penn and Dr. Andrew Orr at UCSF, the San Francisco VA wrote a great article. I encourage you to go to Medical Teacher and check it out, but I'll leave one or both of you to uh, leave us with a final thought. I think I'll maybe 
highlight your point again, that I think awareness on all ends is really the key to this awareness. If you're an introvert of how that's uh, projecting and when you need to be an introvert versus flex outside of that and awareness for those that are extroverted on how do you better support people who are introverts um, and how do you help them to succeed even though they're they're maybe different than you are. Absolutely. And just thank you so much for having us and, and helping us open up the discussion about this topic that is very near and dear to our hearts. Thanks for being on the Faculty Factory podcast. I'm being quiet. Hello there, Faculty Factory listeners. It's your podcast producer, Casey, just checking in with a little update here. Just want to let you know that as of November 1st, 2023, this podcast that you're listening to has had nearly 82,000 total downloads and YouTube views from listeners in 94 different countries. And the Faculty Factory website, facultyfactory.org, has drawn nearly 40,000 web visits from users in 122 different countries. This is truly an international platform and we want to invite you to be a guest on this show. Our host, Dr. Kimberly Skorupski, makes the experience very engaging, relaxing, and she actually makes it fun. As producer, I'll make the edits, so if you need any edits on the back end, there's no pressure for you to nail it. I can simply make those edits after you record. We just want to hear from you. We want to hear from different faculty around the world so we can all learn from each other. Please reach out if you'd like to be a guest or to nominate someone in our academic medicine community that you think we need to hear from. You can visit the Contact Us page on facultyfactory.org to send us a message there, or simply contact Dr. Skorupski directly at kskorupski at jhmi.edu. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.